I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I think what I'm best at now is not taking on negativity that isn't worth my time. That's a key important thing that I hope a lot of people get over before they're 50 because it's what caused a lot of my heartbreak. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Today, our guest is beauty entrepreneur Nikeo Grico. Nikeo has been paving the way for inclusive beauty and supporting Black entrepreneurs for her whole career. She launched her first beauty brand, Nikeo Beauty, in 2002, and that line eventually was acquired by Unilever. In 2020, she launched 13 Loon, the e-commerce platform dedicated to elevating Black beauty founders. And most recently, she debuted Relevant Skin, her clean, cruelty-free vegan skincare line. She's also the co-host of the Beauty Vanguard podcast. Nikaya, welcome to 9 to 5-ish. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. So we like to always warm up with a lightning round of questions to get to know you better. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm going to start with beauty questions. What is the worst beauty mistake you've ever made? I'd say the worst beauty mistake I ever made was having a little bit of onset acne when I was in my 20s, adult onset acne, and deciding to order a system off the television, which is a little too strong for my skin, followed up cortisone. Oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) If you have like three minutes to walk out the door, what is the one thing you would put on? Mm, sunscreen. Oh, wow. That, is, <laughs> I, that would I, not have been my answer. That so. is frequently my life, and that is never my answer. So, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay. That should be yeah. my answer. Finish this sentence. Which best describes your work day? Working nine till? I mean, that entrepreneur life. Till it's done, sometimes 10, sometimes four. Just <laughs> depends on the day. What is one word that a direct report would use to describe you? Joyful. That was nice. That's so lovely. I don't think our direct reports would say that. No. <laughs> um, what's something we can't Google about you? Gosh, one thing you can't Google about me. Well, maybe you can now because I say it all the time, but I nap every day. Oh. For how long? Oh. Thirty. It's a 37-minute window. Seven to nine minutes to fall asleep. Sleep for like 28. Is this the same time every day? No. Do you schedule it? Yeah, I try to schedule it. Like I'll look at my calendar and I'll mentally know, okay, two o'clock before pickup, today's that nap time. And sometimes I wake up really early and it's at like 1030. I think I want to adopt this routine. What is the last show you binge watched? Well, I'm in the middle of season three of Outer Banks, but I was late to the party with White Lotus and stayed up all night long finishing season one. And then a few nights later, season two, obsessed. Is there a particular moment you felt like you made it? Yeah, I think it was the moment. And it was actually before I even founded 13 Loon. It was the moment that the idea came to me because I was able to align my passion and my purpose at the exact same time. 
I want to get more into our conversation, which is I want to start just to talk about your relationship to beauty in the beauty industry. How did that even start? Was that something like as a kid, you were like, one day I'm going to work in beauty? No, not at all. I mean, although when I look back, there was some foreshadowing happening. When I was eight years old, I went to Kenya. I'm a first generation American of Kenyan descent. And I went to Kenya for the first time to meet my grandparents. And when I was eight, my grandmother, Nikeo, who I named my first beauty brand after, not me, her, taught me my first sort of beauty treatment. And then fast forward to maybe fifth grade, I begged my mother for a nail polish kit and I bought a bunch of glitter with my own money and I wasn't allowed to use it in the house, obviously, but I started making glitter nail polish and trying to hawk it to all my friends in the neighborhood. So there were those moments, but what really led me to beauty is, you know, when I graduated from college, I grew up in Oklahoma, went to college there, moved to LA, like many other people started working in entertainment really found that I loved working with actresses. And it was a really special time in the 90s and early 2000s when actresses were starting to get beauty deals and they were starting to show up more on the cover of magazines. And so more than reading scripts and finding them jobs, I always wanted to be on set or be on the calls for these beauty deals. And so many beauty products would end up on my desk. And then very graciously, they would say, oh, you can keep that. And And so I turned my house into a beauty closet, basically. But what I found is there were so many incredible cultures represented in beauty, but I felt that the continent of Africa in the early 2000s wasn't represented in the way that I knew as a child. And so at the ripe old age of 27, I decided to leave my job and start making products that would celebrate the sophistication of Africa and the raw materials and ingredients and the people and, you know, cradle of civilization, their skin and make my grandmother's coffee scrub. So that was my entrance into beauty. You've said that in choosing to become an entrepreneur, I gave myself a promotion. What did you mean by that? What did being an entrepreneur kind of unlock for you in your life? The beauty of our 20s is that we're so naive. And it's really served me, I think, and just believing I could do something. But, you know, it was really, really hard to be a young woman, first and foremost, but a young Black woman working in Hollywood and really trying to climb the ranks in a world that wasn't really known for us, right? And there would be really frustrating times as much as I enjoyed my job and I loved the clients that I was always trying to get here, trying to climb that ladder and just consistently getting knocked down and watching young white men get promotions left and right while myself, other females that I worked with being overlooked. And so outside of the fact that I really decided that that wasn't my passion, I sort of felt forced to create my own role, be my own boss, because I wasn't convinced that anybody else would ever help to elevate me in the way that I could do for myself. It's interesting hearing you talk about the naivete of your 20s. Carly and I started this game when we were in our our 20s. And I think it is so true that you are young enough to not know or or really like recognize how truly hard it's going to be. Do you think you would have done it if you'd known how hard? No. I mean, I, I tell, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and I tell the young people that I'm mentoring young entrepreneurs, especially people of color and women don't get deterred by the stats. You know, when you look at the stats around VC funding that goes to women and to people of color, I had no idea what the stats were. And I think that that would have completely deterred me 
if I would have known. So I would have definitely not had the confidence to believe that I would be that one person that would get funding, et cetera. And so I'm grateful for my naivete. And I'm often telling those that I get the opportunity to mentor or to have conversations with that, like, just ignore it. You know, if I listen to the stats, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I wouldn't be helping to elevate other people to break those stats. So to just believe you can do it. And even if you have to fake it till you make it, because imposter syndrome is real when you set out on a journey, like becoming an entrepreneur, um, it took me a long time to even call myself an entrepreneur. I would say things, you know, playing small, like, oh, I mean, I have a beauty brand, but I'm, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm some big businesswoman. It really took the years, the challenges, the wins that keep you going to step into that ownership. And I think a big part of that was just not getting deterred by being told you can't do it and being naive enough to believe I could. So one of the things that I was struck in just reading in preparation for this interview was reading about how you dealt with the really tough times. And so I'm going to tell you what my perception is, and then you you tell me if that perception is, is right or wrong. So just for context, as you talked about, like it was really hard to get funding for a lot of the reasons you just addressed. Mm-hmm. And you actually at one point had to shut down and relaunch the business. Do that a few times mm-hmm. because of different cash flow issues. Right. So when I was reading about your story, it felt like you were living in kind of the the optimism of resilience Mm -hmm. to keep going. And like, is that true? Like, were you? Yes, I am definitely an eternal optimist. I think I was sort of just born that way. And, you know, over the years have really adopted optimism versus the opposite. But yeah, you know, I'm also an Aries and a little stubborn. And so I think all of that, I also had immigrant parents that came to this country with nothing and became successful in their own right by just paving their own way. So a lot of learned examples, as well as, I don't know, there's just something in me that when I fall down, I've said this a lot, that I have a trigger to the word failure, not because I don't think we all need to fail, but when I think about moments of failure since childhood, when even raising kids, when they fall off their bike, when they're learning to ride a bike, we don't look at our children and say, get up, you're a failure. The only failure is not getting back up on the bike, right? And so every time I'd fall down, sometimes it was a cut or a scrape. Sometimes it was a huge wake up moment, big bump on the head. I just knew I had to get back up because sitting in that place of blame, all the things, especially as women that we do when we fail wasn't serving me. And it did not align with the optimistic Nikeo that I am. So I would just get back up. I mean, I joke with my friends all the time, like, how many launch parties did you go to for the same brand? (laughs) And that's all part of the process. And even in the moments when you can't see it, when you're really just trying to climb out of those fall down moments, they nine times out of 10 lead you to a better place and help you to trust your gut and your instincts more. It's easy to sort of look back once you're on the other side and to be like, and then I fell off that bike, but I had, you know, I had all these Band-Aids, but I kept, kept, kept getting up. We're talking about, you know, this moment in time of like, keep having to get up again and again. Is there like a visceral memory you have of that time period? Like, what do you think about? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's happened so many times. I think what resonates the most about that question is that 
I had to start over at 47. You know, yes, my brand had exited to Unilever, but I hadn't been in a position because I had struggled to just keep going for so long that I had a lot of autonomy at that point in my career and decision-making, support, choice. And so that fall-down moment was real because it was in the middle of a global pandemic and a racial reckoning. And I was being forced to just sort of throw my hands up and say, okay, I guess next. And the stakes are higher. Now I've got two kids, one who's you know a teenager at the time, one that was so young, going to school in their bedrooms, a husband who got deathly ill from COVID, but thank God survived. So much happening, watching the world literally fall apart. Everything I believe to be true about racism was no longer true. So that was the hardest get up moment, but from a place of optimism, it led me to what I think is the greatest gift. And, and I say it all the time. It's, you know, aligning my passion and my purpose. I love beauty. I love beauty products. I love the beauty industry. I do believe that there's room for all of us, but there was something about being solely focused on just my brand that didn't resonate with me. And all of a sudden I could still do what I loved, but bring others along on the ride as well as show them what not to do. They'll make their own mistakes because we all as founders are meant to make mistakes so that we learn from them, but they're definitely not going to make the mistakes that I made. And that in itself made that get up moment probably the most significant in my life ever. So let's talk about 13 Loon, an idea born in, in 2020, which you just talked about was a really dark, dark time. What was the vision for it mm. and why was it the time? Yes. So, you know, as a result of being a beauty founder of Nikeo for so long, after the murder of George Floyd, I was on all of the lists. You know, I've never in my, at that point, 18-year career had ever experienced that amount of attention. The sales, I was watching the sales at, of Nikeo grow astronomically at a time that I no longer owned it. and. It was so strange to me because at the same time, we were seeing beautiful initiatives like Aurora's 15% Pledge and Sharon's Pull Up for Change, incredible work. But I was on lists of 500 or 1,000, 200, many Black-owned brands, most of which I'd never even heard of before. And then also watching retailers fight to get to 10 brands or 13 brands at a time that I thought, well, gosh, there's never been an easier time to bring black and brown products. Like, here's a list. And it was frustrating to me. I was also getting asked ridiculous questions in support of my previous brand. Can I use your face oil because I don't look like you? So not only was I in shock and actually not caring a lot about beauty and business at that moment, like everyone else, that all of a sudden this brand was catapulting, but I was shocked that we still had to debunk the myth that black and brown people make products for everyone, just like other founders. And so I come from educators. My parents were both deans, professors. And I thought, rather than be pissed off about all of this, I'm going to take my pain and turn it into purpose. And if I were to be a retailer, I would make 90% of my shelves black and brown founded for all. The only way that we will build generational wealth through the lens of beauty is if more than black and brown people are shopping our products. And so it was like an aha moment 
that I had at lunch with my dear friend slash co-founder when we got to leave the house for like 10 minutes to sit outside. And it was a lofty goal, but it didn't feel unachievable to me and it felt needed. And a lot of the brands that were on these lists with me that I'd never heard of had very little distribution, very few followers, beautiful brands, gorgeous brand founders, stories. I slid into a lot of DMs, got to know so many of them and said, hey, I'm thinking about starting this website. You know, we knew it would always be omni-channel. Didn't realize that would happen so quickly. But 13 brands said yes. And we launched in December, six months later. So last summer, I went with a friend of mine that's a friend of yours to a lunch that was in honor of you and 13 Loon to celebrate. I believe it was a new product line or it was a new expansion. Yes. I just launched Relevant. Yes. Thank you. So I hadn't met you before. And I would say there's probably like, you tell me if I have the numbers right, but I want to say like 50 women there. Yes. And I left so struck by how many women like literally their eyes were filled with tears rooting for you and like cheering for you. I'm at the end of one table and like all these different women are just like, she's the best and like have tears in their eyes. And you said it was a joke amongst your friends of how many launch events they've been for you. But what I was struck by now hearing that in context to what my first impression was of you, as you look back at sort of the amount of times you've been able to reinvent both your, your brand and create new brands, what's been the secret sauce to bring people along and to keep them rooting for you? I think first and foremost, it's prioritizing relationships. And I always say that my girlfriends are my chosen family and it, and it goes both ways. And for me, I think growing up as a first-generation American child in the United States, I didn't have the luxury of Thanksgivings with, you know, my grandmother down the street or being able to take a two-hour flight to be with my cousins. It was always this time that my parents had to work really, really hard to afford for, for us to all be together. And as I grew up, more of my cousins and uncles and aunts started moving to the States. But, you know, as a kid, I yearned for those experiences. And so I think very early on, and I still talk to some of my best friends from second grade, that I, I really adopted my friendships as my chosen family. And I am such a girl's girl and truly, truly, truly champion all of the beautiful women in my life, and they do the same for me. There's something really, really special about bringing your tribe along for the ride. And whether it be in career, whether it be in the village that's helped me figure out how to be a mom, all of the things, it's just, it's always been a deep, deep priority to me, even when there's not a lot of time, you know, in our crazy frenetic lives. I do. I prioritize my friendships and they prioritize their friendships with me. And I think that holistic investment in seeing each other and supporting each other's dreams realized is the secret sauce. I want to go back to something that you kind of paused on for a second. Creating a company that is named after not only you, but your your grandmother, right? Named after your grandmother, but you obviously have spent a big part of your identity with it and launching it, relaunching it, the resilience part of it, it becomes acquired. You stay on for the transition. Then it has its biggest moment kind of due to this moment of like social reckoning and you are no longer there. 
what was that like? Because I feel like a lot of people could have, instead of starting something new, that's the moment I think that, if anything, where I would have potentially gotten stuck. Yeah, there's, I mean, we could unpack this whole (laughs) experience for hours, but honestly, it's very difficult. Yeah. I never imagined that I would leave my name behind, but there's something really interesting about the name Nikeo. My entire name means hardworking woman in the sunshine in Kikuyu. And I'm so grateful that I carry my grandmother's name and that I was able to connect to my family on such a deep level by creating that brand. And your ancestral lineage, I believe wholly in the power of of my angels. And I think for me, walking away from Nikeo as Nikeo was definitely one of the most difficult moments of my life. But what I will say is that, and actually my therapist said this to me, (laughs) what's your name on your driver's license? Nikeo Kamochi Grico. What do your friends call you? Nikeo or Keo, my nickname. That's always going to be your name. That's always going to belong to you. A TM after your name is simply a business transaction. And it gave me the freedom to honor the journey, even the hard parts, and know that there was so much more that Nikeo, the person, would do in life. And I'm happy for the legacy. What do you want to do with 13 Loon? Yeah, I mean, I want to amplify well-deserving Black and Brown founders to achieve success much quicker than I ever had the opportunity to. And, you know, what's interesting about 13 Loon, you know, we started with 13 brands. We now have over 170 brands. We just completed our 609th opening within JCPenney stores. That is so amazing. We just opened a flagship right here in my neighborhood in Los Angeles on Larchmont Boulevard. And we have done all of this in 27 months. Most of the beauty secrets and beauty rituals and beauty ingredients used across the entire industry are based on beauty rituals that come from marginalized parts of the world. These are timeless, thousands and thousands of year old ingredients that are now have the representation coming to life through the founders in a way that it hasn't been done before. This is a global beauty story, you know, blue sky. I see 13 Loon stretching across the globe. I mean, I'm a Kenyan girl that's never sold a product internationally. So I look forward to bringing both 13 Loon and Relevant to a place where globally people don't feel left out at shelf because they see themselves reflected through these brands and through these founders. I'm like just sitting here like nodding and smiling because I'm like, yes, I see that for you. And I, I believe I'm a believer. We need believers. We need allies. And that's another important part is, you know, 90% of the brands that we carry are created by black and brown people who make products for everyone. But 10% of our brands are not black or brown owned and they're ally brands. And allyship is going to be the key to healing systemic racism. It's not anyone's job to do it on their own. And there's a lot of money in beauty. I truly believe that this industry can be one of the most impactful in bringing us all together and making this world a more equitable and fair place. And so, you know, that's exciting because beauty's fun and we get to do amazing work. For those listening, what is the best way to get on the 13 Loon product bandwagon? How do they learn it? 
Yeah. So we have an incredible buying team led by Chanel Freeman, who helped to build beauty at Net-A-Porter, also a Black woman. She was our first hire and she is the curator of the beauty gallery. And so you can reach out to our beauty team by emailing brands at 13loom.com. Having now reinvented with your name and with a TM and now with a new name, when you have to identify and think about today, what are you best at? What would you say? Gosh, I think what I'm best at is helping to make a significant difference in making the world more inclusive. I would say from a personal standpoint, what I'm best at, and I don't know if this is because I just turned 50 What this is all about, I guess, you know, it's true. Your halftime show is very liberating, but I'm a recovering people pleaser. And I think what I'm best at now is like not taking on negativity that isn't worth my time. And that's a key important thing that I hope a lot of people get over before they're 50, the people pleasing aspect, because it's what caused a lot of my heartbreak just wanting to be seen and do the right thing and all of those sort of things that we, especially people of color, come into the world with, sort of letting that go for this next generation that you don't have to be the smartest or the quietest or not stand up for yourself or not talk about money or take dumb money and bad deals. All lessons I'm actually grateful for, but a lot of that stemmed from people-pleasing because I never wanted to upset the person in charge. So personally, I think being a recovering people pleaser and feeling really good about that, and then also helping to make the world more inclusive. Final question. Who's someone else we should have on this show? There's so many good people, and we are huge skin fans. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I got off the phone with her right before this, Sarah Happ, the founder of Sarah Happ, the lip scrub, the OG, first of its kind, human being to ever... And by the way, we started out like our Fred Siegel days, you know, together in the early 2000s. She's now one of our biggest ally brands at 13 Loon. She was the first person to prioritize skincare for the lips. And she is deeply committed to diversity and inclusion, being an ally. And I'm just so proud of her. Well, we would love to talk to her. So we're going to follow up with you. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Congratulations on 13 Loon and and everything that you have done. It's such a treat to hear your story. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. Thank you for what you've built. I'm a fan. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. And if you want to keep up with us in between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Carly and Danielle. It's a really good account, I promise. 